Hey guys, James here. I want to welcome you to the very first Q&A session for Nancy's case. I'm excited to answer all of your questions, giving you my answers, theories, knowledge about the case, and answering some questions that you guys have put together. Now, before we dive into that, I wanted to let you guys know I heard you loud and clearly. You guys wanted some sort of discussion board where you guys can discuss the case. Well, if you go to my Facebook page or you look at the description of this episode, I've included the link in it. At my website, you can see images of my trip to Tenino, uh, you can see shows that are coming up, and more importantly, the discussion board. Now, this is where you guys have the opportunity to talk about it amongst each other, share opinions, thoughts, ideas, ask questions, and hear what other people like yourself have to say. So, go check it out. Now, let's dive into your questions. Hi, James. My name is Bethany, calling from Cincinnati, Ohio. I have a few questions. Uh, By the way, I do love your podcast. Um, You're doing a great job. One of the questions I have is, um, do you know who it was who drove Nancy home on that Friday from work? I know you mentioned it in episode one, but I haven't heard you go too much more into it. Maybe there's a reason why. So I'm just wondering about him because that's technically the last person that she knew that saw her, um, other than the police officer who scanned her plates and her going to the grocery store. Um, My second question is... um, why was Bill already fully cleared? And also, do you think maybe the fact that her children were drawing Aaron artwork and gave it to him may have pushed Bill over the edge if they had mentioned that to their dad? And my last question is, what about the police officer who scanned her plates near her house? Has he been looked into? Could we get some more info, information on him? Thanks, James. Again, great job on the podcast. Hey, Bethany. Thanks for the call. Yeah, I do know who the individual is that Nancy would carpool with, uh, but I didn't choose to use his name in episode one, and I referred to him as Mark. Now, I don't want to use this gentleman's name yet and put it out there just because I'm still trying to have a conversation with him. When I did reach out to him by Facebook, he told me that he didn't want to do an interview on the record. So when I asked him if he would be willing to do one off the record, He basically told me he did not want to participate in my project, but wished me the best of luck. Now, I know someone who is somewhat close to him, and they've told me that he's not listening to the podcast because it might upset him. Why this would upset him? I'm not sure. But you do bring up a great point. This gentleman was the last known individual who knew Nancy that saw Nancy. I want to reserve any additional comments about this individual because I'm trying to give him the opportunity to speak with me. Now, I don't want to pressure him or... Make him feel like he has to, but like all the other individuals in my podcast, I give everybody the opportunity to set the record straight or tell their side of the story, such as Aaron Huntley or Aaron Johns that you will hear from in episode six. Your second question was, why was Bill cleared so early? Well, I'm only going to give you my theory on why Detective Haller and Detective Elkins both cleared Bill early on. As soon as Nancy went missing, Bill was cooperative, he was willing to answer any questions, took a polygraph and passed with flying colors, and had an alibi the weekend Nancy went missing. And I'd like to point out that Bill didn't have any kind of criminal background or any kind of domestic incident on his track record. Do I feel that the drawings for Aaron and how the girls were drawing pictures for another guy may have pushed Bill over the edge? From what I know, personally, no, I don't think that that's the case. During my first conversation with Bill, he shared with me that as soon as Nancy had told him she was in pursuit of a different relationship and wanted to separate, he really had no desire to want to be with her anymore. 
And to kind of give you an idea of what type of man Bill is, if any other individual would have heard that his wife is pursuing a relationship with another male, they might kick him out of the house or send him on their way, go to your mom's or your dad's. Bill didn't do that. He allowed Nancy to stay at the house to financially prepare herself to move into another location. Bill did tell me that he knew it was Aaron that Nancy was in pursuit of and what ultimately ended their relationship. Bill never felt the need to confront Aaron. He knew Nancy made her decision what she wanted to do, so Bill moved on. As for the officer that spotted Nancy outside her house the night she went missing, his name is Officer Hagman. And as far as what I know about Officer Hagman is that he's an upstanding officer and there's no red flags on his record. What I will say though that one thing does stick out to me about Officer Hagman's testimony on when he saw Nancy last. Officer Hagman said that he saw Nancy between 9 and 9.30 when he was running radar near her house. Officer Hagman indicated that he knew what grocery store Nancy had gone to because of the grocery bags that she was carrying inside. He recognized them. And he said he saw her between 9 and 9.30. Well, if you recall, Nancy had checked out of the grocery store around 7.15, 7.30. I've made the commute from the store to Nancy's house. It takes literally anywhere between 3 to 5 minutes. So if Nancy checked out at 7.15 and Officer Hagman sees Nancy at 9, 9.30, where was she at for those two hours? That's still something I'm trying to figure out. Thanks for the call, Bethany. Those are great questions. Hi, James. My name's Kate. I am from Tenino, Washington, and I've been listening to the podcast, and I just wanted to know or get your thoughts on um, in regards to Nancy's missing cell phone and how Bill and her daughters are sure that it exists, but yet Thurston County detectives have no record of it. I was just wondering about what your thoughts were about how the Tenino police officers that were initially responded to the call of Nancy's missing person's case if the officer that was at one point investigated if he might have had access to the crime scene or Nancy's home, not a crime scene, maybe it is a crime scene, um, but to the scene of Nancy's home if they were had access to it before Thurston County Sheriff's and if maybe the Chenango police officer might have had something to do with it turning it missing before the Thurston County Sheriff could get to it. I just wanted your thoughts on that and to see what maybe other viewers might think. It's kind of strange. I'd also be curious to know more about the reason why they looked into this police officer and what they might have thought, you know, why he might have even been a suspect to begin with. Um, really enjoying the podcast. Looking forward to hearing more. Again, my question is about if the Tenango Police Department had access to the scene where her phone was and if maybe they did something with it prior to Thurston County arriving and bagging and taking evidence. Hopefully we'll hear more on this next week. Thanks. Bye. Hey, Kate. My thoughts on Bill and the girls being so adamant that the cell phone does exist is that, in fact, it does exist. Sharon, her sister, also indicated that Nancy had a cell phone and remembered when her and Bill bought them together. So at this point, I think our focus should be on where is the cell phone and why isn't it in Thurston County's possession? As for the responding officer to the missing person call, his name is Officer Samuelson. Now, I don't know much about him, but nothing again sticks out from what the detective said about his character or his background. And for some reason, it's been challenging to get in touch with these individuals. And as far as my opinion for Tenino Police Department, 
I don't want to take a thick brush and say all of them are corrupt based upon one specific individual's behavior. In episode 6, I'm going to dive more into Sergeant Evans' background and what had happened. Now, whether Evans had access to Nancy's home, I'm not sure. But I have requested a log of all the law enforcement officers who entered into Nancy's house and bagged evidence. At this point, I haven't got a response yet. And when I was in Tenino, I did request to see the evidence in person. I'd like to add that Ben Elkins did support me in this. I was declined, unfortunately. Those are great questions, Kate. I appreciate the phone call. If you tune into episode 6, you might get some more answers and clarity to the things that you asked me today. Well, Mr. Basinger, just want to say I love your podcast. We're out here from New Orleans listening to the podcast of Hide and Seek. And I think that Mr. Robert Howell is the killer. Bernard Howell, I'm sorry, Bernard Howell is the killer. He done seen her two months prior to her going disappearing. And there's no doubt in my mind that he's the real killer. He might as well shut her down and name him the killer. He got her meat. He said he didn't see her. Now we know. Daughter's spoken. We're now knowing who the killer is. Shut her down. It's a wrap. Hey, thanks for the call. You're absolutely right. It could have easily been Bernard Howe. Him lying and denying selling Nancy any meat or being at Nancy's house, not knowing her. Those are all things that I strongly feel Bernard was lying about. I have continued to send Bernard letters and unfortunately I haven't gotten anything back yet. But like I said to you guys before, I am working with someone close who could possibly get me the interview and look forward to sharing that with you guys here in the near future. I'd also like to add that there are lots of people who I haven't talked to. People that have strong interest into Nancy's case that I've been trying to get a hold of and maybe they don't want to talk or I haven't been able to locate them. I feel that it's very important for me to flip over every stone, look over every individual that has any kind of interest into the case. If Bernard didn't have anything to do with this, us resting on the idea that he did would leave someone else out there at risk if that person is still out there. Thanks again for the call. Hi, James. This is Elon calling from Kentucky. Great job with the podcast. I love listening to it and look forward to it every week. I was wondering about the wine glasses on the kitchen table at Nancy's house. You said that one was full and then one was empty. I'm curious about the empty wine glass. Was Had it been used, like somebody had drank the wine, or had it not been used? And that's why it was empty. Because if it had been used... That places somebody in Nancy's house, obviously. So that's a question I have. And then secondly, the cigarette butt slept on Nancy's porch. Do you know if those were ever tested for DNA? Um, if so, that could also help link us to who is at Nancy's house. Thank you. Doing a great job on the podcast. Hey, Elon. The empty wine glass has had me confused for quite a while, and I'll tell you why. If there was a second glass that was on the table that was empty hadn't been used, there was no leftover residue of wine, why would you ever get a second glass out when you already have one? You wouldn't, only if you were expecting someone. Now that's where, again, it gets really confusing because from what I know, Nancy wasn't expecting anyone. So that leads me to believe that someone stopped by unannounced. And you can play this two different ways. Either someone called, and they didn't call on the landline, but they called her cell phone to let her know they were coming by. So Nancy grabs a second glass of wine, expecting this person to have a drink with her. Or, this person stopped by, unannounced, 
approach Nancy smoking a cigarette on her porch. They go inside. They grab a second wine glass. Maybe they realize there's not a lot of wine left since Nancy had already been drinking and proceed to leave to go to the store again. This would line up with a neighbor who overheard a female say, hurry up, let's get going. And then they hear a car door shut. But this still doesn't explain why the front door is left open. As far as DNA testing goes, now what the case file says is that there wasn't any done. Now I believe that prints were done, but it was only Nancy's that came up. The same goes for the cigarette butts on Nancy's front porch. When Nancy would go out to smoke a cigarette, she had a specific chair she would sit in, and there was a cup where she would empty all of her cigarette butts. All those cigarette butts were all from the same brand. These were camel filter cigarette butts. One thing I'd like to point out, though, is Detective Haller did search Nancy's vehicle and found nothing of evidentiary value other than a few off-brand cigarette butts. Those were logged into evidence. Well, thanks again, guys, for all the great questions today. Be sure to call in and ask your questions for the next Q&A session in two weeks. If you haven't already, be sure to like, rate, and review where you listen to your podcast. Tune in to next week's episode, episode six. Thanks again, guys.